that you may have life and have life to the full. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. I became a Christian at university. I was at an American university. I went out there on a tennis scholarship. I was room with a girl who called herself a Christian. And so I came back to England having encountered God for myself and I was a Christian. I had lots of opportunities after that to tell people my story, to tell people what happened to me and what had changed. And I always refer back to that, that verse, that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. You know, I had a, I had a good life before I went out to America. But in becoming a Christian, I realized that a good life is nothing compared to life to the full. I'm sure most of you here this evening have got your smartphones on you. If you're not busy texting somebody now, I've definitely got mine with me. Can you remember a time when you didn't have a smartphone? Some of you might not be able to remember that time, but I certainly can. I had a little Nokia. It was quite exciting because you could make a phone call from anywhere and you could send text messages. You know, what more could you want? That was pretty good. Then I got a smartphone and I realized what it could do. I did become quite the evangelist. Had everyone realized what you can do, the connectivity that you can get on a smartphone? Has everyone realized all the apps that you can use? I really enjoy my smartphone, I have to say. I am a smartphone user. Not everyone might be. My old phone was good, but my smartphone's in a whole different ballpark, and I would never now be satisfied with that old phone. I want us now to watch a clip, and um, I wonder how quickly you can guess the film that it's from. We could have just watched the rest of it, really, couldn't we? <laughs> Imagine how Dorothy felt. She has lived her whole life in black and white. We could actually say that maybe she lived it in sepia, but she has lived her whole life in black and white. And suddenly, she steps into color. How would you feel if you'd lived your whole life in black and white? You actually wouldn't question it, because you wouldn't know any different, but then you see color. I want to tell you another story. I want to tell you about Fred. Fred has maxed out on all his credit cards. He is in debt. In fact, he's about 10K in debt. When he looks at his bank balance, it just screams red at him. 
Then Sam comes along and Sam says to Fred, Fred, I'm going to wipe your debt for you. Fred is amazed. He can't believe it. He gets his smartphone out. He goes to his banking app, don't we all? And um, he can't believe it because Sam actually hasn't done what he said he was going to do. He's wiped Fred's debt, but he's put 10 times that amount into Fred's account. He's got over 100 grand in his account. He's in credit for the first time that he can remember, and he feels utterly overwhelmed. With these examples, I'm trying to show something of the difference between life and life to the full. Life in black and white and life in color. Life living with zero in a bank account and life living with a full account. Because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He said, I will wipe your debts. I will pay for everything that you have done wrong. On that cross, he said, I will take everything that you have done, the punishment that you deserve, which is death, and I will take it on myself on that cross and pay for it and take it and take that punishment for you. And you know, for me, that's often where I live my life. I'm amazed, I I get it, I get what he did on that cross, that he took everything I did wrong and he's paid for it. But he chooses not to leave us there. He chooses not to leave us at zero in our account, but he chooses to fill our accounts, our spiritual, emotional, life-giving accounts with more than we could ever expect or imagine. And these accounts are full and they are there for us to use. It's good to be clear from the start that when we're talking about life to the full, Jesus didn't mean that we should have a full-on life, that we should be busy, that we should have full diaries. He's not talking about doing life. He's talking about having life. So why are we going to look at life to the full tonight? Um, Because it matters. Life in color, seeing the possibilities of connection, using that full account, these things matter. And they matter just as much as if you're starting out at university, or if you're building a career, or if you're growing a family or if you're ending a career, or if you're in retirement, whatever stage you are at in life, life to the full is open to every single one of us, every day. So tonight we're going to look at when he said the words, why he said the words, what they mean, and how we can live them. Just to keep it really simple, because I like things simple. In a minute we're going to hear a bit more from John 10, but before we do that, let me just set the scene as to where these words come. So Jesus has just healed a blind man. And he's dealing, but he healed him on the Sabbath. And he's dealing with the fallout from this with the Pharisees. To remind us all, because I needed reminding who the Pharisees are, there were two sets of Jewish officials at the time. There were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. 
The Sadducees tended to be well-off. They were wealthy. They kind of aligned themselves with the Romans, and they weren't particularly liked by the rest of the Jews. The Pharisees called themselves the shepherds of the people. They believed their role was to make sure the people of God stuck to the rules. And in fact, even though they tended to be liked, they were so busy making sure everybody stuck to the rules that they often neglected the people right in front of them. And this is what Jesus is actually beginning to challenge them on. And so they're questioning him. How can you do a miracle but on the Sabbath and break the law? How can those two things come together? He's perplexing them and he's actually probably irritating them because he's just called them blind. He said, you can't even see what's in front of you. So then the story continues and PJ is just going to come and read this to us now. And he's going to read John 10 verses 1 to 10, but he's going to read from the message version. So you won't be able to follow it in your Bibles. I hope you don't mind, but it's quite um, a good way to hear it. Is this one on? Okay, go. Um, Hi, everyone. (laughs) Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good. A sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than any they had ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. I don't know about you, but I don't see sheep every day of my life. But when Jesus was speaking, there would have been sheep everywhere. But just to help us, here are some first century sheep facts. A family's economic standing was determined by the number of animals that they had, and that would include the number of sheep. In most villages, every family would have a shepherd, and the shepherd would take the sheep each day and take them out to graze. And then at night, the shepherd would bring the sheep back to a communal sheep pen. And so all the sheep from the village went into this one sheep pen, and it would have been a big, round um, place with high stone walls. And there would have been a gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper would lie across the gate at night to keep the sheep safe. So Jesus is using the ordinary stuff, the sheep, to explain the extraordinary. He's using words and language that the Pharisees would have found really easy to understand. 
Why? Because it's important. It matters. He doesn't want them to miss out. There was recently a story of an Australian farmer. I was thinking of maybe not mentioning Australia tonight, but... Um, <laughs> and he had been accused of stealing sheep. He said, no, actually, I didn't steal any sheep. They're my sheep. They went wandering off a few days ago, and I'm just gathering them, that, them back. Well, the case couldn't be resolved, and it ended up going to court. And the judge didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to resolve this. So in the end, he decided to bring some of the sheep into the courtroom. And he said to the man who was accusing the farmer of stealing the sheep, well, if, if they're your sheep, can you go and call your sheep, please? And so the man goes, and he calls the sheep, and the sheep don't respond. And if anything, they look a little bit nervous. He then says to the farmer, if they're your sheep, can you go and call them? And the farmer goes, and he calls his sheep, and his sheep respond. And the judge declares, the sheep know their master, case dismissed. In the passage that PJ has just read us, we are Jesus' sheep. I'm not sure how you feel about that. They do have some interesting traits. They can be easily frightened. They're known to plunge off cliffs in confusion. They're pretty defenseless, dependent, and they need protection and guidance. You know, I can, I can relate to a lot of those, just maybe not the jumping off the cliffs one. But what does Jesus say about his relationship with his sheep? He says he calls his sheep by name. I think sometimes we think that God just does a, a Jesus just does a general shout out, come on, who's with me, let's go. He doesn't do that. He says, Joe, you're with me, come. He says, James, you're mine, let's go. It's personal. He calls us by name. Secondly, he leads them out. He doesn't drive them out from behind. He leads them and they follow him because they know that they are safe. And then he says about his sheep that they will go in and out and find good pasture. I love that, that idea that he gives them freedom, but with safe boundaries. He says, I am the good shepherd. And when he said these words, he didn't actually need to use the word good. He could have just said, I am the shepherd. And I think we would have all kind of bought into that. Yeah, you can be the shepherd. But he chooses to say, I am the good shepherd. Because he wants to show how much he loves us. And it's in Jesus, the good shepherd, not our good deeds, not anything we have done, that we can find connectivity that we can find connection with him and eternal life. And it's in him that we can find meaning and purpose and forgiveness and life to the full. If you don't know that for yourself this evening, can I recommend that you try the Alpha course? Come along here on Tuesday night to the Alpha Supper. It's a great way just to have a look, see whether you want to have a go at it, and... It's a good opportunity to explore some of the bigger questions of life. So when Jesus was speaking these words, 
to the Pharisees. He was making them easy for them to understand because they matter. And he says them because he's the good shepherd and he loves us. So when we look at these words for ourselves, it isn't just a cute passage about sheep. It's something he wants us to get, to understand, and to live. So having become a Christian in America, I came back to England, and I then went to university here. And so I got to be a student twice. I got to do Freshers' Week twice. The first time I did Freshers' Week, I did it in black and white. I did what everybody else did. I just followed. The second time I did Freshers' Week, I was a Christian, and I was just beginning to see glimpses of color. And I'd been told by someone that I needed to find a church and find some other Christians. I didn't think there were any other Christians in England, so these were my two aims. And it's what I did. And you know, I've never regretted that decision because that church and those Christians have been transforming and continue to be transforming in my life. So what does life to the full look like? Well, if you Google it, if you Google the word full, it will tell us it means complete or maximum. So when you use the word in reference to life, it would mean a life that is complete, not lacking in anything essential. And what's it full of? Well, we can read in Galatians 5 that it's full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's full of forgiveness, relationship, confidence, and compassion. It's full of things that money can't buy. No, much, no matter how much money you have, you can't, uh, or power you have, you can't buy more patience or influence someone to give you more self-control. Wisdom isn't for sale in a shop. And secondly, where it's full of these things, and it is these things, it's actually a life that's free from. I don't know if you watch The Great British Bake Off. In our family, it is family viewing times. I sometimes have to persuade the boys harder than other times, but we're very excited about the final this week. However, the free from week didn't really do it for me. I'm not sure whether anybody else felt like that, but I felt like I was missing out on something in those meals, didn't all those bakes didn't, I wasn't quite as excited about them. And I think many people think that God wants us to live a free from life by removing all the good bits. We sometimes see God as a killjoy, that he wants to rob us of fun, but actually the opposite is true. He wants us to be free from things that rob us of life and full of things that help us flourish. In my final year at university, I found myself alone. I was doing four years, a lot of my friends were doing three years, 
And I found myself in a house where I didn't know anyone, wasn't a particularly nice house, pretty dismal room. And in this room, there was this little, little bay window, and there was sort of this old chair that sat in this bay window. But in God removing things from my life, and he removed good and bad things, God was able to step in. And I unexpectedly had the most amazing year with God. I sat in that chair every morning, and I said, God, today, I want every moment, every thought, every word, every deed to be yours. I want to be your servant, and I want to bless you in what I do today. And it was just this amazing year where I felt like I was in continual dialogue with him. I felt a bit like I had a hotline to him. He seemed to have gone before me in everything I did. And I just had sort of conversation after conversation about him and about my faith. Life was really in color for that year. And that's the challenge for us, to live our lives to the full, to see life in color, not in black and white, and not settling for black and white. So how do we do this? Well, the answer here is really simple. The problem is it's not very easy because it's through connection and primarily through connection with Jesus. While I was at university in about my second year, I think, a lady at my church said to me, right, I'm going to teach you to hear God's voice. I was like, okay. And I would go off to her house every week and we'd sit there and she would practice listening to God. And she said, I'm not letting you go until you've learned to hear his voice. And so when I sat in that chair in that final year, I already recognized his voice. I'd heard it before. And so in doing so, I I was able to live out life to the full every day. And life to the full It's not only found by being connected with God, but it's also found by being connected with others. Life in him is personal, but it's not individual. And the flock of Christ, the church, us, it's not a set of isolated individuals. It's not a faceless corporation, but a community. The late Maya Angelou said, I have learned that people will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And here at St. Saviour's, we want everyone to feel and to know that they are known. And there are many ways to do that. There's many ways in, whether it's students on a Wednesday night, whether it's waifs and hub on a Thursday, life groups. We're launching more of the connect groups here next week, so come along. And There's about 20, 25 getting going, so come along and hear more about those. Serving on a team, chatting at the cafe before or after church. All these things actually require time. Connecting with God requires time. Connecting with others requires time. But it's in these connections with God and with others 
that we are able to see life to the full grow in us. I always kind of think, wouldn't it be great if you could wake up in the morning and you'd know each day whether you were kind of doing it, you're getting that life to the full bit right. So it would be quite nice that, you know, when you opened your eyes, if your room was in black and white, you'd be like, okay, I need to do a bit more connecting here today. Or if your room was in color, great, I'm going to keep doing it. Unfortunately, that's not how it works, much though that would be fun. So I've got a, a little list of some ways and um, ideas that you could try. First one, make a habit. Mike has talked about this a number of times before. But before you get out of bed or while you're brushing your teeth, whatever it is, commit your day to God. That's a great start. Um, secondly, use tools. Reading the Bible is brilliant. Reading the Bible with notes makes it easier. I have an app. <laughs> and that prompts me until I've read it. Just use a tool, use ways to help you. Put yourself in good places. Whether it's getting stuck in here at St. Saviour's or getting stuck in somewhere else, get stuck in, get involved. Find other Christians. I think that's one of the best um, things that I was told. Community and positive peer pressure are just great things. And get prayed for. We love praying for each other here. There is never a reason that you have to get prayed for. You don't need a reason. Always come forward and be prayed for. Always find opportunities to pray for each other and to minister to each other. And then the last idea is get a mentor. Again, we have a mentoring program here. Use it. We, um, I know for me that the times I've been mentored or I have mentored someone have just been really special times and you just get so much out of them. So we know that connecting with Jesus is how we can live life to the full. And connecting with others is how we live it out. And that connection is irresistible. For some, you may feel that you've never made that connection. And as I mentioned earlier, Alpha is a great place to start. For others, it might feel like you are in a dark or low place and that that connection is poor. And that's where the smartphone analogy falls down because it's in those dark and low places where Jesus can come along and carry us. And I know repeatedly I've seen God do that in my life and in the lives of friends. Jesus used really simple words when he was talking about life to the full because it matters. It's something he wants us to get. And because he loves us. He wants us to be connected with him and with others because he wants us to live out life to the full every day. Amen.